Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Hi, this is David Sachs with a special midweek podcast on love and raising up fallen love. If you'd like to be part of the Zoom talks that we've been doing, subscribe at Torah on iTunes.com. We'd love to make okay. you a part of the community. I'm glad you're here. Um, what, what a bunch of days we've been through uh, from, from darkness to light. Um, if you're like me, this, this Shabbos Nachamu, you know, that's uh, the time that always comes. It's that special Shabbos that always comes um, after, after Tisha B'Av. Um, after the darkest day, all of a sudden you have this unbelievable Shabbos, um, Shabbos of Consolation. And uh, it's, it's named after the words um, of the prophets that's, that said in the Haftorah, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, comfort, comforted, you know, should, my nation should be, God says. And uh, it's, it's just, it, it's awesome. It's awesome. So, so everyone wants to know, why does it say Nachamu, Nachamu? That's this, this, this double language of being comforted. Um, and I think my favorite Torah of all time on the subject, I, I always feel terrible that I forgot the, the Rebbe who said it, but, um, but, but it goes like this. The first comfort that God is giving us is, is to reassure us that every difficult thing, um, as hard as it was, um, was ultimately for our benefit. And that, and that at one day, you know, at, at the end of 120, if not sooner, we'll see that every hardship we ever went through was really to cleanse us and to lift us up and to fix us and to fix the whole world. So that's the first comfort. Well, that seems pretty all-encompassing. If that's the first comfort, what, what, what room is left for the, a, a second comfort? I mean, that seems to take care of everything right there, right? But listen to this awesome Torah. The second Nachamu, the second comfort, is God says, even though everything was for your benefit, still, I'm sorry that you had to go through it. So there you see just God's love for us in, in such a beautiful way. I want to share with you my own thought, my, my own um, teaching on Nachamu, Nachamu. Um, you know, there's a very unusual, just unique thing in, in the Torah scroll that's written. Um, you see, it's in Parshas Beloscha, and it's, it's talking, you know, that's in the, what Reb Shlomo calls the Book of Mistakes, where it's chronicling all the mistakes, all the rebellions and complaints and difficulties that, that we had while we were traveling through, through the desert for 40 years. By the way, there's a very interesting Rashi in Devarim, um, if you noticed it, toward the end, where, I don't know if I'm pr- pronouncing this properly, but in Kadish Barnea, which was one of, the, one of the places that we encamped over the 40 years of wandering, it says we were actually in Kadish Barnea for 19 years. So, so you should know, just um, we weren't wandering for the full 40 years, and there were many stops where we, where we stayed quite a while. But, but in, in this particular spot, we stayed 19 years. So that's, that's, that's good to know, because that means that the wandering was really for 21 years, 
And that even within that, there were, were spots where we stayed for years at a time. Anyway, um, you know, there were, there were hardships that, that, that we endured during, during that time of wandering. And um, in Baloscha, the Torah lists a series of complaints that we had. And, and the Torah does something really interesting. So Rashi explains that so that there shouldn't be three complaints or three sort of um, three, uh, I don't, you know, averas basically three three wrongdoings. Let's say on behalf of the Jewish people listed in the Torah in a row, because we have the concept that if you do something three times, it's called a chazaka, which means that it has a certain permanence, a certain strength. Um, my my. My rabbi said, all of life is about making good habits, right? So if you do something on a repeated basis, and halakhically speaking, if you do something three times, in some cases even two times, but if you do something three times, then your, your, you, your body, your mind starts to become acclimated to that activity. So to avoid the idea that the Jewish people should do three wrongdoings in a row, a chazaka of wrongdoing, the Torah separates it, and, and, and puts two large upside-down nuns in the middle of those three occurrences so that the three shouldn't happen in a row. And the Talmud, very fascinatingly, even though there's basically two verses of the Torah within those large nun brackets, calls it a separate book of the Torah. Now, just as an aside, just so you know, that means that according to one count, and this is in the Talmud, according to one count, there are actually seven books of the Torah, not five books of the Torah. And the way they learn it out is because of this separate book, which is in, in brackets. Now, interestingly, what is what verse is contained, or what verses are contained within those brackets? And it's a very, it's a very famous verse, uh, we say it all the time, um, back when we had such a thing as going to shul, right? <laughs> so it's, uh, it's Vayihi bin Aaron Vayomer Moshe, which is the verse that we say when we open up the ark in preparation for taking out the Torah scroll to read the Torah. So isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting that what verse is it that breaks up this um, possibility of being habituated to wrongdoing. In other words, what stops us from becoming habituated to doing wrong? And the answer is opening up the ark, opening up our hearts, and learning Torah. Anytime you learn Torah, you stop that chazaka, you stop that permanence from ever taking root. So that's, that's just a very practical, beautiful lesson for us. It's why it's so important to learn every single day. But based on this, just to give you context, that was just kind of homework for what I want to say right now. Based on that, I want to say that those two nuns become the two, nun, two nuns of Nachumu Nachumu. In other words, in other words, that ability 
to get righted? That ability to go back on track? That love, that guidance that's coming from God becomes manifest in Nachamu Nachamu, where the Jewish people get back on track again. And all of this negative energy shifts around and starts to become really, really positive. And now we're at the beginning of the beginning of the climb toward Rosh Hashanah. Like, you know, when I, when I first started, you know, just keeping everything and just trying, trying my best, you know, I, I, I had to say I was just always regularly being blindsided. It's sort of like, it's sort of like, it's, it's Pesach, <laughs> you know, it's, it's Shavuos, it's Rosh Hashanah, it's Yom Kippur. But after you go through the cycles enough times, it's sort of like, you know, there's certain signifiers. And right now there's this, you know, for those who have eyes to see, right? The lights are flashing. Rosh Hashanah is coming. And I'll just tell you something deep. See, this month, this month is the month of Av. And Av has so many, so many levels of meaning to it. Usually we start, we start our preparations for Rosh Hashanah once the month of Elul comes, which is the next month, right? But but all the Rebbe's are already teaching that, that you should be preparing already in the month of Av. And um, Av is already the letters of the Aleph base. Av is spelled Aleph base. And we know that God combined the letters of the Aleph base in order to create the world. And we know that Rosh Hashanah a whole new world is being created. Not only that, but if you want to speak in terms of um, the energy of a month, see, according to Torah, according to our understanding of the universe, time is not parav. It's not this neutral energy that just, well, it's what you make out of it. You know, it's all the same. Every second is the same. It's just what you make out of it. It's not, it's, not, it's not how we see the world. From month to month, holiday to holiday, week to week, the energy of the times offers different opportunities and different challenges. Time itself does not have a power because then we're saying there's God and there's time. And, you know, there's lots of different powers. We don't say this. There's only God. But nonetheless, the paths that we're being led down in terms of our service of God have different opportunities according to when they are in the year. And if you want to see the fullness, every month has a different personality. If you want to see the, the, the peak quality of a month, you look at the full moon of that month. The 15th of the month shines on the fullest quality of what that energy of the month is. So if you ask a lot of people who aren't as learned, and you ask them, well, what's Ava all about? You know, they hear Av, they they have like, you know, like 
Trauma. Av! That's... Tishabav! Av is the ninth of Av! But it's, believe it or not, it's not true. It's not true. First of all, and you see it on a couple of levels. Let's, let's just complete the thought that we've been building toward. The prime energy of a month is the full moon of the month. Well, guess what? The full moon of Av is one of the happiest days, the Talmud says, of the entire year, along with Yom Kippur, which for a lot of people is like news. What? Yom Kippur is a happy day? Well, if your soul is cleansed, completely cleansed, of course it's one of the happiest days of the year. And what's the other happiest of the day of the year that the Talmud says? The 15th of Av, the full moon of Av. Believe it or not, the full moon of Av is the other happiest day of the entire year. By the way, you see that Av is, in its essence, a very happy time as well. You know why? Because the only Yurtzeit mentioned in the five books of the Torah is Aaron Akoin, the first high priest of Israel, who was all about love. And his Yurtzeit is the first of Av. In other words, right at the capital, the two capitals of Av, the full moon of Av and the first of Av, it's all about love. So, so there you have it. There you have it. Now, let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. On the 15th of Av, this was a time when couples got together and got married. In other words, all sorts of combinations were taking place. And if you remember, the name of the month of Av is Aleph Bez. And how did God create the world? through combining the different letters and the energies of the different letters of the world. Remember, you have 10 special Haftorahs leading up to Rosh Hashanah. The first three are like the highest, 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 and they manifest themselves as these of warning, right? Because it's such a great light, we haven't had vessels to hold the light. Then we have the seven happy Haftorahs, And at the end of those, the new year starts. Now we're in the first of the seven, right? In seven days, God made the world. So it's like the building of the world, the building toward Rosh Hashanah is starting right now. And how did God do it? By combining the letters of the Olive Bays. That's signified by Av, right? And what is Av? Av is the 15th of Av. Av is the capital of Av, the first day of Av. Arunakoyin, love combination. So in other words, what's happening right now is this awesome opportunity to begin weaving together the strands for the new year that's ahead of us. And what does the Talmud say? Starting on the 15th of Av, the nights start to get longer, which means that we're supposed to increase in our Torah study. Because by studying Torah more, that is the greatest way to begin to tie these threads, to empower these threads, to empower these energies in order to create something more beautiful. Now, there's a thought we we touched on last week, and and I, I want to 
I want to go back to it for a moment. It's this idea that that the top three spheron, right, whether you call them Keter, Hachma, and Bina, or Hachma, Bina, and Das, these top three of the ten spheron, right, which is the highest, highest light, correlate with the three warning Haftoras, right, that, that we've had leading up to Tisha B'Av. And again, the idea that I've been very strong in wanting to communicate to everyone is this idea that God is good and God only does good. But there are two types of good that manifest themselves in this world. The, the openly revealed good that we commonly call good, and a good which is so high that we don't have vessels to receive it, so it manifests itself as destruction. So these three weeks, these three warning Haftorahs leading up to Tisha B'Av, correlate with the top three spherot, the highest, highest light of creation. Now, this great light that shined at the beginning of the world burned for 36 hours. And isn't it interesting that Eicha, the book of Eicha, the book of Lamentations, which is just this buzzword for disaster, that Eicha is Gematria 36. So how could it be that this great light at the beginning of creation burned for 36 hours, and that Eicha, which stands for destruction, is also the number 36? And so there you see the teaching very, very clearly. That a great light is entering into the world, and if we don't have the vessels to hold on to it, to receive it, then what we see with our eyes is disaster. But we can make these vessels just by loving each other. That's the thing. And there's this, I think, this amazing correlation to this, which is that on Hanukkah, what's Hanukkah about? Rebuilding the base of Migdash, right? What's Eicha about? The, the base of Migdash is destroyed. What's Hanukkah about? We rebuilt the base of Migdash. We, we, we rededicated it. And how many candles do we light on Hanukkah? Well, it's one the first night, two the second night, eight the eighth night. If you add up all the candles, it adds up to 36. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? And the halacha says, where do you light the menorah? Where do you light those 36 candles? And the answer is in your home. That means if we can turn our home into a place of peace, if we can make these relationships that we have with our kids, with our parents, with our family members, right, with the closest people in our lives, we can create a vessel just like on Hanukkah to hold that light. But we've got to do it year-round. That's the thing. And then we rebuild, right? Just like on Hanukkah, everything becomes rebuilt. You know... Those of you who had a chance to uh, participate, we were learning the, the Gomorrah about Kamsa and Bar Kamsa. And just very briefly, the way it goes is you have um, a hostess throwing a big party with all the dignitaries of the city, and he wants to invite his friend Kamsa. But instead, the messenger 
sends an invitation to his enemy, Bar Kamsa. Okay? And Bar Kamsa comes and the host and the and Bar Kamsa get into a big fight and turns into a big disaster, right? So so according to a lot of uh, the commentators on the Gomorrah, Bar, you know, Bar is a Hebrew word like Shimon Bar Yochai. You see it in a, a lot of names, right? Bar means son of. So, so according to at least one way of learning it, Kamsa and Bar Kamsa were father and son. Kamsa was the father, Bar Kamsa was the son. Now you see something very strange, which is that Kamsa, who was a friend of the host, who was supposed to be invited, wasn't invited. And Bar Kamsa, his son, who was an enemy of the host, gets invited. So here's, here's the question. Why didn't Kamsa and Bar Kamsa discuss this? Why didn't Kamsa say to his son, you know, the strangest thing, I wasn't invited to this party. Or why didn't Bar Kamsa say to his father, you know, the strangest thing, I got invited to this party. Why didn't that discussion take place? And so what I'd like to suggest is that Kamsa and Bar Kamsa weren't close with each other. Father and son were not close with each other. And so the normal things that a family would talk about weren't talked about. And how this whole thing, this whole problem could have been resolved if there was a closeness within the family itself. You know, we we analyze the story and we say, well, what could the host have said? And what what could Bar Kamsa have said? And what could the rabbis who were in attendance were said? I'm saying something deeper. I'm saying the whole problem didn't have to take place to begin with. If there was peace between the father and the children, between the parents and the children, if there was a closeness there. That's what I'm talking about in terms of these relationships. Imagine, imagine if there's closeness among the family. All the problems, all the domino effects that can be cut off. There's so many people who it's like, if they were going to be really honest with you, or if a person was going to be really honest with themselves, you know what's so important to me? More important than there being peace? I need to be right. I need to be right. And you know what? I'm only right when you admit that I'm right. It's not enough that I know that I'm right. I need to get it out of you. Then we can go on. Can I ask you not to do that? (laughs) Not to need that? What do you need that for? Like, are you in third grade? I mean... Do you know how much of a blessing comes from there actually just being peace? 
Okay. I want to go further. I want to tell you something unbelievable that I learned, something absolutely incredible. But but before we go there, I, I just I just want to share with you something, which is, you know, we're talking about building, talking about building this new world, this great opportunity that's ahead of us right now. We're in the beginning of the seven haftoras that lead to the end of the world, or yeah, end of the year, but every every year is a world. You know what the Chidush Arim says? Something unbelievable. When you go from one year to another year, this is a Torah that he brings by Rosh Hashanah. When you go from one year to the new year, he says it's like you're going from one country to a new country with a whole new set of laws. that fascinating? Like you're literally crossing a border with a whole new set of laws. And what I'm telling you on the deepest level right now is, well, you say, well, what are the laws? Who made the laws? And what I'm telling you is, right now in the month of Av, which is Aleph and Bez, right now we get to combine the letters to make those laws. That's what's going on. So in, in, in the spirit of construction, I'll just tell you something personal, okay? So kind of one of the joys of Shabbos, for me anyway, is you get to walk to shul. And maybe if you're super fortunate, you get to go with a family member, right? Um, so, so anyway, one of my favorite things is to walk by construction sites. And, you know, every week I get a, I get a once a week snapshot of how they doing? What kind of, what kind of progress did they make? And it's, it's really, it's really fun for me, you know? And I'll tell you, I've learned certain lessons over the years in watching construction sites go up. So I'm just going to share a few few observations that I've learned. One is they take a really long time. Um, and that is really gratifying because um, it's an antidote to sort of like our superhero Marvel Marvel Comics uh, mindset, which has been with us for, you know, for a long time, which is that one radioactive spider bite is all that stands between me and being a superhero, right? And once that happens, I'm instantly transformed. You know, real transformation takes real time. That's just the reality of it. It takes time. It doesn't happen in a second. And you see it in a construction site. You see something so amazing, which is that if you work on something every single day, and even if it takes a really long time, you will finish. It's, it's just like you, you, you watch it. You see the proof of it. You see the proof of it. Okay, I'll tell you another thing that I've learned from watching construction sites which is that first they knock down the building. And by the way, you know, halakhically speaking, believe it or not, in terms of the laws of Shabbos, knocking down a structure is a form of building. If you're knocking something down in order to build something. 
So a lot of times people think that the, the removal of something is just destruction. But if you can stop yourself from doing a certain, if you have a certain habit or a certain negative quality, and you can stop yourself from doing it, then that's real building. That's real building. So you should, you should feel good about that. You should feel good about that. Um, but anyway, after they knock down whatever is there, they dig a pit, and then you can walk by that site for weeks or sometimes months, and it looks like nothing's going on. <laughs> and, and the truth is, is that all of a sudden you walk by and then there's another floor and there's another floor and there's another floor and there's another floor. So it looks like nothing's been going on for the longest time. And then all of a sudden, wow, progress, rapid progress. And you think, what, did they just wake up? What, what's been going on this whole time? Well, they have been working. But you know what they've been working on? Making a strong foundation. And that's, that's, that's the second lesson that, that, that I've learned from watching these construction sites, which is that how important it is to make a very, very strong foundation in your life. And what, is that, what does that mean, practically speaking? Having a strong foundation means being able to answer these questions for yourself. Why is there a world? Because remember, God didn't have to make a world. It's, it's the craziest thing. But God didn't have to. No one made God make a world. We, we, we're so used to thinking, oh, there's a world and here I am in it. And, uh, but there doesn't have to even be a world. This entire world, its existence is just an expression of love. It's just an opportunity for us, an awesome opportunity for us. So why is there a world? And then even deeper, what am I doing in it? What do I have to accomplish with my life? And what's stopping me from doing it? Or rather, let me, let me rephrase that last part because it's a very important distinction. Not what's stopping me. Because then it's just about becoming a victim. How am I stopping myself from doing a better job? See, because sometimes there are forces of opposition, and there's nothing that we can do about that. But you know what? How am I stopping myself? That's something I can do something about. Then I'll tell you another thing that I've noticed about construction sites, which is after the scaffolding comes down and after they've carted away all the debris, um, the very last thing that they do is they fix the little patch of grass in front of the building. <laughs> and then they plant a few things. So... And then something almost miraculous takes place. You ready for this? People walk by the building like it looked like that the entire time. 
So my father, I don't, I don't know if, I think he used to quote Cary Grant. I don't know if, uh, if Cary Grant really said this or not, but Cary Grant was, you know, if you, if you don't know the name was, you know, one of the most elegant, you know, movie stars from the golden age of Hollywood. And, and so, uh, if he didn't say it, he could have said it, um, which is what's the definition of a well-dressed man? Someone after you leave the room, you don't remember what he was wearing. <laughs> so there's a certain naturalness and a certain elegance that's there, you know? And after you walk by a completed building, the grass has been fixed, the sidewalk has been swept, it looks like the building was always there. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? And yet, anyone who's watched, anyone who's been paying attention, sees the awesome amount of work that's gone into it. And you know what? I think it would be beautiful to be a person like that. All that work that you've done on yourself, to make it so that it's not even apparent to anyone. <laughs> right? You know, I did this uh, podcast uh, interview with someone, I think it was last week, and and the, the host sort of surprised me. They said, you know, I've never heard, I've known you for, I don't know, 17 years or something like that. And I've never heard you complain to me. <laughs> and I don't know, I guess I, it's not that I never complain, but I guess that sort of took me off guard. But to be the type of person who just looks like you walk by them and they're like a finished building... <laughs> So, a lot of people want to know what's taking Mashiach so long to come. You know, one of the one of the um, things that the Rambam puts forth is that that even if it takes a long time, no matter how long it takes, right? I think I think the English word you never really hear it in conversation anymore. No long, no matter how long it may tarry, right? I I have perfect perfect faith that it's coming. So a lot of people wonder, like, what, what, what's taking so long? And so what I would suggest, just to complete this thought about lessons learned about a building, a building getting constructed, is if a building just in the neighborhood takes that long to get constructed, what about the universe? <laughs> Do you know how epic a project that we've been involved in? The project is so epic. And that's why it's taking so long. That's all. That's what it is. Now, I want to I tell you something what I think is super deep. And it's, it's, it's uh, kind of the same topic, 
kind of a new topic, but it's getting into creation and it's getting into just why things, uh, why things, um, you know, let me, let me rephrase that. Uh, as we've learned many, many times, the word breishis means in the beginning. So the very first word of the Torah is telling you that, uh, that a process is taking place, that this is just the beginning, that there's a middle and an end, right? A big construction project, if you want to think of it that way. Now, I told you time is special, and different times of the month, you know, or different months, rather, are very special. Even within a month, the peak energy of the month, of the personality of that month, shines out on the full moon on the month, on the 15th. But even within a week, there are special times. Shabbos, we know, is the most special time. But now, what's the most special time of Shabbos? Now, this is, this is something that I've just scratched my head about because we have a clear answer to this, by the way. There is an answer. The most special time of Shabbos is Shalashidis, is the third meal of Shabbos, right as Shabbos is starting to go out starting to leave the world. And the reason why I think I've struggled with that um, for so many years, and I'm talking about over a decade, more than that, is because in my kishkas, I've never fully understood why is it that Shalashudas, the third meal, the waning hours of Shabbos, is the most special time of Shabbos. Why? And uh, yesterday, I, I had a, the, the B'nai Yisachar. The B'nai Yisachar is one of the classic Hasidic works. And I was about to take a nap, but I just wanted to read like one small piece. So I said a prayer. I said, God, just send me something good. And I opened up to the explanation of why Shalashidas is the most special time of Shabbos. And I was like, wow, you know, I've been wanting to know the answer to this. And I've heard different things over the years, by the way, but nothing has kind of gotten into my heart. But this got into my heart. Okay. So now listen to this. You know, when is the first recorded moment of creation? Right? Well, that would be the first day of creation, right? That's the first recorded time of creation. But before the world was created, God existed, right? Before time existed, God existed. So if the first day, if we look at our calendars, when does the first day start? That would be Saturday night, Motzei Shabbos which means before the world was created, it was Shabbos. <laughs> and what's the time? What's the time right before nightfall, right before there was night and there was day, the first day? That Shalashidas. So the time right before God created the world, that's the time of Shalashidas. The Zohar calls it Raiva Deriva. 
right? That's the the most this most special time of yearning and yearning and yearning because before God created the world, he was yearning to create the world. So the Bnei Yisachar says, why is it that we say at Mincha, in the, in the, in the prayers of Mincha, Vani Tefilasi, right? That, that God says, calls this time an Ace Ratzon, a time of favor. Why is this a time of favor? We say that line right before we open up the Ark to read the Torah on Mincha Shabbos. You can look in your, in your Siddur. So it says Breshis, and if you look at the Rashi for Breshis, one of the things he brings is Breshis, for the sake of the Jewish people, for the sake of Israel, specifically, for the sake of Israel, the world was created. So we have to understand that, because all of us are God's children, Jewish, non-Jewish alike, right? We're all God's children. So what does that mean for the sake of Israel, God created the world? So we have to understand what Israel is is shorthand for here. Israel is shorthand. Israel means those people who do God's will, despite the distractions of this world, right? Despite often the suffering of this world, those people who are committed to doing God's will, no matter what. And God created the world for the sake of those people who attach themselves to God no matter what. And that's why, by the way, anyone can become a Jew. Because anyone can join that category of being part of the nation that wants to serve God no matter what. So Breshis, Be-Reshis, for the sake of Reshis, for the sake of the nation that's called first, the Jewish people, Israel, for the sake of that, God creates the world. And that was God's will. That was God's Ratzon. Ratzon means desire, right? This is the time of great desire, the time before creation. All right, now we've done our homework. Now we can hear what the B'nai Saskar says. You ready? The Menei Saskar says that if you combine these three words, Hashem, right? Remember, this is what's going on before, before the creation of the world. Hashem, that's Yudke Vavke, Israel, and Ratzon, will, right? Because it was God's will to create Israel. These three words, Hashem, Israel, and Ratzon, add up exactly to Breshis. <laughs> Breshis, for the sake of Israel. <laughs> and this is why Shalashudis is Riva Deriva. This is why it's an Ace Ratzon. Because at Shalashudis, you are in the time that God was imagining your creation. Because before God created the world, he saw every single person that was going to be created. 
every single person who is going to attach himself to his will. Shalashudas is the time when God was envisioning you and setting about to create you. That awesome? So what better time then is there before the sort of like the marching orders for the new week come down into creation for the new world? Remember the Orach HaChayim says week to week the, the entire world is being created and recreated. Is there to tap into that energy and to make something beautiful? Okay. Um, We'll wrap it up. I just tell you that uh, the whole energy of the world is shifting right now. We're out of the three weeks and we're heading into something like just newness. And everyone should strengthen themselves. Everyone should strengthen themselves. And whatever good you've been doing up until now, Right? As beautiful as you are, let's just make that commitment to be even more beautiful. And whatever we've been doing up until now, let's just be more focused and more clear to complete that awesome, awesome, epic, cosmic, cosmic construction project, which is this universe, which is this world. Okay. Um, I want I want to... I want to just maybe finish with, with one last thought, um, which is that what we've been saying up until now is that, is that Av is the, you know, it's the olive bays, it's, 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 it's the energies of, this, of, of, of creation that we have the opportunity to um, start to weave together in our creation of the new year that's coming. But I want to say something maybe even deeper than that which is that we have the ability to attach the Aleph and the Bays back together. See, you know, in terms of those two letters, what do they stand for? Well, we know Aleph stands for Hashem. Aleph is one. And as we've learned a million times, Aleph is actually composed of three letters, two, two Yuds and a Vav, which add up to 26, which is Yudke Vavke, God's holiest name. So Aleph stands for God. And Bez, Bez stands for Breshitz. Bez stands for the illusion of duality in this world. And so perhaps the whole project of making these vessels to hold this great light, right, is attaching the Bez to the Aleph in a coherent way to attaching this world back to Hashem in a way that's organic and whole so that the Bays can hold the light of the Aleph. Okay. Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.